kind of makes you want to get to heaven, doesn't it? Can you imagine praising endlessly and it never get boring? You never get distracted, you never get hungry or tired. And you can do it face to face with Jesus Christ. Someday soon, he is coming back, amen? Well, it's always a joy to be here with you to open up the word of God. Have the privilege to bring our message this morning. As Ken and I were talking about possible topics, obviously he's already expressed a desire to help us as a church think about things that we're facing that we need hope or encouragement or maybe challenge by. Often when preparing a message, the introduction is the hardest part because you want to introduce a topic showing its importance, showing its relevance. Well, that's not the case this morning. Every online news site, every evening news broadcast, and the various social media platforms are filled with example after example of what? Anger. So as Ken and I were talking, we're like, hey, maybe do something on anger. From the anger and outrage being poured out at protests, like in Portland, to the woman in Arizona who filmed herself destroying a face mask display in Arizona at a Target store. I don't know why she filmed herself and then posted it online. That's like a burglar taking selfies in the middle of the act and sending it to the local police department, right? People right now are angry at discrimination. They're angry at job loss, human trafficking, social injustice. People are angry at the way the COVID-19 pandemic is being handled or mishandled, depending on what side you take. People are angry right now for being forced to wear face masks. And guess what? People are angry. Not enough people are wearing face masks. Some of you are looking at each other right now going, why don't you have a mask on? I watched a video of a woman in Washington who wanted her pizza. She went there to pick up her pizza, and she wasn't wearing a face mask, and they would not deliver it to her. They said, go to your car, pop the trunk, we'll put it in your trunk, you can take it home. And she basically stood there in the store while she was being videoed, ranting and raging in anger about how she wanted her pizza. She was hangry. That's just the anger that's being put on display for everyone to see, isn't it? Do you know that statistics say that domestic violence has risen 20% since March of this year? It's a lot of anger, isn't it? Being cooped up together. In fact, it's been reported there's a general rise in suicide, depression, anxiety, and various other addictions, what we would call life-dominating sins all caused by the isolation, the stress, the health fears, the growing economic anxiety caused by the global pandemic. And often some form of anger is listed as the cause of many of these. Think about it. Why do people get depressed? How does anger and depression tie in? 
Well, is it possible that someone likes to be in control and the pandemic makes them feel out of control? And so when things like control are stripped away from them, they begin to get angry and they may not blow up, they may clam up and that clamming up, that anger might result in depression and anxiety and fear. Just one example. How about this? Abrasive anger is found when a father says, a harsh word to his child because the chores didn't get finished the right way, the right time. Complaining anger rears its livid head when a coworker criticizes the new policies at work and slanders the boss. Bitter anger rises to the surface when a wife shares, again, it's all in the name of prayer requests, right? When a wife shares with a friend all of the ways her husband is failing her. An irritated anger is present when a teenager rolls his eyes when his mom tells him to turn off the Xbox and do his chores. Parents, don't you love it how creative our kids are at eye roll? Has your kid ever done a double eye roll? Eye roll to the right, fine, eye roll to the left. That takes some creativity. Probably got it from their mother. Hypothetically. Anger is everywhere. And it's possible this morning that anger has taken root in your heart and in my heart. So it's critical for us to have a biblical understanding of what anger is so that we might use our anger for good and not for evil. So this morning, we're going to develop a biblical view of anger. We're going to examine seven aspects of anger so that we can learn to help ourselves deal with anger appropriately, to approach anger appropriately, and we hopefully can help others as well as we interact. Maybe you encounter someone who's hangry. How can you help them and minister to them in that time? This morning is going to be more of a topical message. I know we normally don't do that, but hopefully you're going to see that we are anchoring all of these principles into the text of the Word of God. So let's start with our first aspect Let's talk about God and anger. It's a good place to start. This becomes the foundation. Now, I think when God and anger comes up, unbelievers particularly have a very difficult time accepting how can a loving God be angry. After all, that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, right? Love seems to be the opposite of anger. And what's heartbreaking is the growing number of Christians who also refuse to recognize this truth. I suspect part of the reason why is because of so much of preaching being done in the name of God overemphasizes God's love and de-emphasizes God's wrath and holiness. It's possible that if someone has been under a steady diet of that type of preaching, which is common today, that they may struggle with this concept. We must remember Our perfect triune God is able to be both perfectly loving and perfectly angry at the same time. God is able to express his anger and wrath without ever sinning. Think about some of the passages that we know in, in, for example, in Romans 118. Seems like just yesterday Ken was preaching this to us, right? Just yesterday. Romans 118 says what? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. This wrath of God 
being poured out. John MacArthur calls this wrath a settled, determined response of a righteous God against sin. This is not some impulsive, uncontrolled outburst of anger. We have passages in the Old Testament. For example, Psalm 711 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. What does indignation mean? Righteous anger. He is against sin. How many days is he indignant? Every day. Do you realize that God is angry right now? Psalm 5.4, the psalmist talking about God says, no evil dwells with you. So again, here we have an example of God can be angry and yet no evil dwell within him because the very next verse, the psalmist says, you hate all who do iniquity. God, perfect and holy, without sin, hates all who do iniquity. Example after example. So God's anger is a just response to what is wrong, what is offensive, and it is not sinful. It's important for us to lay the groundwork there. How do we know that? Another New Testament passage, James 1.13, James 1. James says, when you're being tempted, don't say who is tempting you. God, why? Because God cannot be tempted by what? Evil. God's not tempted by evil. God doesn't do evil. So this is the foundation. Now think about this. Did Christ ever get angry? Did he? Oh, yeah. Christ was filled with anger when he encountered people who perverted the worship of God, who hardened their heart to God's truth, and who led others astray. Think about this. Mark 3, 5 you don't have to turn there, but this was where the Pharisees set a trap. It was the Sabbath. They were in the synagogue. There was a man with a withered hand in there. And there you could just see them kind of sitting back going, here comes Jesus. Watch, watch what's going to happen. What are they hoping he's going to do? Violate the Sabbath by healing this man. It says in Mark 3, 5, Jesus, after looking around at them, who's the them? It's the Pharisees. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their hearts. And then what did he do? Told the man to come forth, hold out his hand, and he healed him. The very next verse, what do you think the Pharisees did? They conspired to seek to destroy him. Matthew 23, that whole chapter almost is about Jesus exposing the Pharisees. That's the one where he calls them whitewashed tombs. Why would you whitewash a tomb? What's inside of a tomb? Death, decay, suffering, stench. You make it look pretty. The Pharisees looked righteous on the outside, but Jesus knew their heart was far from God. They pretending to be a follower of God, leading the people as religious leaders, and they were in fact doing the opposite. This is where Jesus pronounces eight woes against them. How about John 2, 14 to 17? This is our favorite one. Remember, he goes into the temple, and what does he find? Money changers, people selling animals. And what does he do? Come on, kids, you remember this one. This is one of your favorite stories. What does he do? Indiana Jones time, right? He makes a whip, and what does he do? Cracks the whip, turns over the money changers, 
It's amazing what he says. You turn my father's house into a place of business. What does he mean by that? The place where they were to come and worship God. People would come from other regions. They had to have the right coin to pay the tax or money to buy an animal to sacrifice. And so these, basically, these people inside the temple, the local people would rip off people coming in and turn and pervert what should have been a wonderful, glorious worshiping of Yahweh into self-focused business. Jesus was righteously angry, and he did something about it. Now, kids, don't use that as an example to go in. You know, some of you share a room with a, a brother or a sister, and you think, hey, Jesus got angry. You start turning over their bed and flipping over there. That's, that's not the same thing, okay? Well, you say, well, did he get angry at someone other than the Pharisees? Yeah, did he ever get angry at the disciples? What did he say to Peter? Get behind me. Uh, do, would you ever want Jesus to say that to you? Because w- what was Peter setting his heart and mind on? Not the things of God, but his own plan. And then, of course, Mark ten fourteen. There were parents who were bringing little children to Jesus, and the disciples were rebuking them. Hey, get those kids away. Jesus became furious. He rebukes the disciples because they were hindering little children. Again, they just wanted Jesus to pray for their kid, to bless the child, and Jesus rebukes them, implying what? Sometimes even you and I, the disciples, can get it wrong. We think we're doing the right thing. We think our anger is right, and what is it? Offensive to God. God and Christ demonstrate that anger can be totally right, totally good, totally appropriate, and the right response to sin. In fact, I don't know if you've thought about this. I wish I had time to develop this. This is a whole message in and of itself. God's anger is frequently described as redemptive love. Let me just summarize it for you. Hopefully you can catch this. The gospel is presented in terms of how love and anger come to be resolved. In God's love, who did he send to the cross? You or me? No, who did he send? Christ, in God's love, his anger, his just anger for our sin fell on Jesus at the cross so that those who would repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ alone would be saved. But God doesn't just stop there, does he? God hates sin so much and he loves us so much that he sanctifies us. Remember Philippians 1.6, what does it say? He who began a good work in you will what? Perfect it or complete it till the day and the return of Jesus Christ. So he sanctifies us. Is less sin in your life and my life good for you and me? What causes pain and suffering and conflict? What breaks relationships? It's sin. The less sin I have, the more peace through the Spirit I will enjoy. He doesn't just sanctify us, though. He also disciplines us. Because according to Hebrews 12, the Son that the Father loves, he what? He disciplines. He disciplines so that we would return and repent. God is able to be both perfectly loving and angry at the same time without sin. So let me just summarize this point. God's righteous anger over sin energizes him to action. He sends Christ to the cross 
providing salvation and sanctification, which ultimately results in what? Our good for his glory. That's God in anger. Well, let's go to the second aspect of anger. Let's talk about what anger is. What is it? David Paulson, he's got a great book for those of you that want to study this more in depth. It's, it's red, isn't that appropriate? Good and Angry. And then he says it's, the, the subtitle is Redeeming Anger, Irritation, Complaining, and Bitterness. For those of you that want to study more, we've got some of these in our resource center. It's a wonderful book. would encourage you to do that. David Paulson, in this book, he clarifies that anger is essentially an expression against something or someone. Anger is when you and I say, I'm against that. I'm against that. Paulson states this. He says, it is an active stance that you take to oppose something that you assess as both important and wrong. Do you get angry over things that you don't really care about? Typically not. You're like, no big deal. Water off a duck's back, no big deal. But when you care about something and it's wrong, someone is not giving it to you or blocking it or preventing it from you, what do you do? You get angry. We may get angry when we're late to a doctor visit. All of the parking spots are taken. Who are we angry at? The guy driving the green Camry that just parked in the lost spot. That was my spot, dude. Maybe I'm angry at the the doctor. You don't have enough parking spots. Who else might I be angry at? Why didn't I leave earlier? Maybe the child gets angry when another child teases her. Why does a child get angry when other kids at school tease her? Don't overthink that. She doesn't like to be teased. She's against that. Is it important to her? Yes. It hurts my feelings. So anger will come up. How about this one? Mom is distracted with an argument between the kids in the other room. Moms, does that ever happen? Yeah. And the smell of burnt offerings comes from the kitchen. What happens to dinner? Yeah, it becomes a form of worship. Here's your burnt offering, husband. I'm sorry, it's your children that you made me have. She's angry. The kids are angry. Who else is angry? Why did you burn my dinner, honey? Yeah, let's get the whole family involved. Anger says that something in our world that matters to us has gone wrong. Anger is about displeasure that motivates us to do something about what we care about. In fact, Paulson in this book, he lists three stages at the core of anger. I think it's helpful for us to dissect anger, the progress and stages of anger. You've got it on your hand out there. First stage, I identify some perceived wrong. This is where I say that's wrong. I perceive it as wrong, and I make a judgment it's wrong. Step two, I take a stance of disapproval. I feel displeasure. This is where you say, I'm against that. When you get upset at something, when you're angry at something, does it involve your emotions? Is it possible to get angry at something and not be emotional in some way? If you care about it, you, emotions are going to get involved. And that's what begins to happen in the second stage. And then the third, in some way I move to action. I say something or I do something about it. Sometimes it's just thinking something, but it makes me want to do something. 
Don't miss this. Anger is a moral matter. It's a moral matter. We judge and then we act. We judge and then we act. So you think about sinful anger. Let me give you a list of some of the ways, some of the categories that this sinful anger is often packaged. Now, ladies, I don't want to see you nudging your husband, okay? He knows he struggles with some of these. Irritability. This is anger on a hair trigger. Sometimes we say, man, he's just cranky or grouchy or she's testy, easily set off, irritable. Number two, arguing. This is anger that is disagreeable. It's quarreling. It's the inner lawyer. I have an inner lawyer inside of me. Sometimes when my wife and I are having a small conflict, slight disagreement, my inner lawyer comes out because it wants to bless her. So as we're having a conversation and she begins to explain why what I said or did hurt her, my inner lawyer begins to show how, well, you didn't quite remember the story, right? Because it wasn't quite that way, it was this way. And then, well, no, that's not true because if you say that, then this is true and that's not true. And of course, it's just to bless her, right? What's at the heart of the inner lawyer? Do you have an inner lawyer? Do not make eye contact. Sometimes that inner lawyer comes out, doesn't it? This is the heart that, that is, a, is an arguer. Number three, bitterness. Bitterness. Bitterness is anger that lasts a really long time. If you have anger in your heart and you don't repent of it, if you don't do what we're, gonna, we're getting to Ephesians 4, if you let the sun go down on your anger, guess what happens to that anger? It turns into what? Deep-seated resentment. And if you don't repent of that deep-seated resentment, where does that go? goes to what Hebrews 12, 15 says, a root of bitterness begins to take root in your heart. Bitterness comes as a result of unrepentant anger. This is someone who recycles old hurts. You can't get it out of your mind. You can't help think about it. You can't, talk, you can't help but talk about it. You, you replay what they did or what they didn't do, the grievances. In fact, sometimes we say, wow, they, they never got over it, did they? What do we mean? If you say that about someone, you never got over that. What are you implying? They're probably acting or speaking in a way where they are bitter. Bitterness is anger. Fourth, violence. This one is obvious. Anger that's destructive. It attacks, it hurts, it destroys. And guess what? Anger can even kill. Not just with our words, but with our hands. And even Jesus says sometimes we kill with what else? If you're angry in your mind, it's like you committed murder, according to Matthew 5. Violence. How about fifth? Passive anger. This is my favorite. Passive anger. Anger that is often hidden. Sometimes we hide it intentionally, or sometimes we're unaware of it. It can result in pessimism or depression. Sometimes people who are passively angry, they, they use this term to describe their anger. They say, I'm just so frustrated. You ever use that? What do you mean when you say frustrated? Anybody watch the Astros game last night? I'm just so frustrated. Three people on the base, you can't even hit the ball. Am I angry? I could just be disappointed that my team didn't win. 
If my wife and I are in a conflict and I say, I was just so frustrated, do you think that's what I mean? Typically, when you and I use word frustrated, what do we mean? I'm angry. Can you find frustrated in the Bible? No, that's why we like to use that word instead of anger, because if I say I was angry, then what must I do? View my anger through the lens of Scripture by the power of the Spirit to see if it was appropriate or not. Be careful when you use the word frustration in other terms like it. This is the passive anger. And then lastly, self-righteous anger. This is the kind of anger we see on social media platforms. Anger that feels good to get out. It's empowering. It freely expressed regardless of the cost. Right? That lady at the pizza store, do you think she felt good about what she did when she was doing it? She is yelling and ranting and telling him, I have the right. I ordered that pizza. I already paid for it online. I have the right for you to give me that pizza. She was furious. Do you think she felt self-righteous? Again, I don't know her spirit. We'd have to ask her. We can't judge her. It certainly seemed like there was self-righteousness there. What are the results of these six expressions of sinful anger? What, is, what does Galatians 6, 7 say? Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will reap. When you sow anger, what is the cost? What is the return to anger? They alienate relationships. They burn bridges. You realize that some families don't talk to each other because of alienated relationships, because of unresolved anger and conflict causes pain to self and others, can cause physical sickness. You realize that people who are really angry, who are characterized by anger, they often have stomach problems and ulcers and other things, stress. They don't sleep well. And you know what the ultimate result of these sinful expressions of anger are? They displease God. Because 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, we make it our ambition whether home or absent to be pleasing to him. Does your sinful anger please the Lord? No, nor does mine. So those are some examples of bad anger, evil anger, sinful anger. What about biblical anger? What about good anger? Because I think Paulson's definition works for both. It can work for bad anger or good anger. Well, biblically, anger is a God-given emotion to help us solve problems biblically. God gives us anger as an emotion to solve problems his way. Just as righteous anger motivates God to loving action, so too should righteous anger motivate and energize you and me as believers to action. Let me just give you two biblical examples, one from the Old, one from the New Testament. Do you guys remember what happens in 2 Samuel 11? King David, he's supposed to be leading his armies. He's back at home instead. He's on the top of a building. He looks down and sees who taking a bath? Bathsheba. And he lusts. He brings her. They have an inappropriate relationship. He starts to conspire to have her husband killed. He eventually does have him killed. And what does he do with all of that? Covers it up, lies and deception. Then we come to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Does God hate what David did? Absolutely. So what does his righteous anger motivate him to do? Who does he send? The prophet? 
Nathan. And do you remember what Nathan does wisely? Again, that's why he was a prophet speaking for God. He tells a story. He tells a story of the rich man who had a whole herd of little lambs that he could have chosen from. But instead, what does he do? He sees one little poor man over there who has one little lamb, and what does he do? Goes and takes that one little lamb. Nathan is telling David the story, and in verse 5 of, of 1 Samuel 12, what happens? Or 2 Samuel 12, what happens? David gets angry over the injustice of what's happening in this story. The prophet wisely uses David's own anger because later on in verse 13, after Nathan says, David, you are that man. This is what you did. And he uses David's own anger at the injustice of the story to realize he's right. And in verse 13, David repents. God's anger motivated the prophet. The prophet told a story that motivated David's anger and God used David's anger to bring about repentance. And what did it promote? Holiness and godliness. It's a beautiful story. I don't know if you've seen it in the context of being motivated by hatred over sin. Let me give you a New Testament example, Galatians 2. Turn there with me. So far, I've been quoting all these verses. Look at Galatians 2.11. Now, you might remember this story. Paul is, is writing in verse 11. He says, when Cephas, Cephas was, is Peter here, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Now think about this. What's going on here? Peter, one of the apostles, he knows the Jews and the Gentiles used to be separate because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. What is God doing with the Jews and the Gentiles, bringing them back together under one Savior? Peter, because of the fear of man, these, these, these men, these men of James probably were of the party of the circumcision, meaning they believed that you had to be circumcised to be saved. So if you were a Gentile who had repented and put their faith in Christ, you also had to be circumcised. What is that? heresy. You're adding something to the gospel. Should Paul be rightly angry over that? Yes. Should Peter have known better? Yes. But because of Peter's fear of man, he stopped eating with Gentiles so that he could stay tight with this group of religious, really probably heretics, probably bringing in some form of works-based belief system. So what does Peter do? He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul looks at what Peter's do, doing and he says, I'm against that. That's wrong and I care about it. If Paul had just said, oh, well, something else, someone else will take care of it, you'd be like, well, no, Paul, you care about that. What did his righteous anger over the purity of the church and Peter's example, again, what does he say? Because of Peter's examples, who was following him into error? Others. That's something that Paul cared about. His righteous indignation and anger motivated Paul to go to Peter to his face and call him out. And what was the result? It brought purity and brought back together 
the church. It's just one example of how righteous anger promotes loving and biblical action. And guess what? Sometimes you and I have to stand against things that God hates. Sometimes you and I need to take a stand against human trafficking. That happens in Houston all the time. Against abortion. Against the way that our political system is trying to make same-sex attraction and relationships okay. The things that God is not okay with, you and I need to take a stand. We need to determine I'm against that. The challenge is how we go about in action when we face it. Well, let me just give us three, quickly, three New Testament words used for anger. The New Testament uses these three key words. This is helpful. Again, we're we're talking about what is anger. I want to make sure we have a biblical understanding. Some of these words are used negatively. Some of them are positively. The first is thumos. This is the Greek word found in Ephesians 4.31. Look at Ephesians 4.31. Ephesians 4.31 says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be what? What does it say? Be put away from you. Meaning what? Stop doing it. Repent of it. Well, that first word, wrath, is this word, thumos. Little bitterness and thumos be put away. This is explosive anger. It's rage. It's the passion of the moment. Have you ever heard someone say, man, he's about to, he's about to lose his top? When someone says that, what do you do? Do you get closer to the person? Oh, oh okay, let's see what's going to happen. What do you do? He's going to lose his top. Back away slowly. Don't attract him. Because what? He's going to lose his top and he's going to come after you. This is the angry dad who interrupts his child mid-sentence and says, go to your room. Zero to 60 like that. Thumos, explosive anger. It's sinful anger that blows up. Verbally, this can be expressed in harshness or intimidation or arguing or I hate to say this, sarcasm. Now, who has the gift of sarcasm in this room? Yeah, some of you are admitting it. Who else has the gift of sarcasm? I tell my wife, honey, God made me this way. You should accept me the way I am. She goes, that is not a gift from the Lord. That is a gift from Satan. Because how can I use my sarcasm? To build up, to edify, to give grace according to the need of the moment? No. To hurt and destroy and tear down. Just want you to know I'm working on it. How about in action? How does thumos, this explosive anger, come out in action? Well, it could be throwing or punching or kicking or, or pinching or hitting or slapping. Someone that slams the door, someone that throws their keys across the room. When you think of thumos, I want you to think of a volcano. Thumos, wrath, volcanic anger. All right, you got that picture? Explosive anger. And it doesn't just affect you, it affects who? Everyone who's standing around you. Thumos. Ephesians 4.31. The New Testament also has a second key word for anger. In fact, if you're already still in Ephesians 4, it's orge, orge. This is an abiding, settled attitude of indignation. And this is the second word, let all bitterness and wrath and anger. That anger is this word, orge. 
What's interesting is this word orge is the word that Paul uses in Romans 1.18 and Colossians 3.6 to describe the wrath of God. This orge is what God has. It's an abiding, settled attitude of indignation or offense. It's the internal inferno. So it's anger under control. It expresses God's slow, building, burning anger, the wrath to come. If you're in Ephesians, look at Ephesians 4.26. We're going to look at, this is one of the key verses on anger, verse 26 and 27. Paul says, be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. In your Bible, what does verse 26 say? Be angry. Does that sound like a suggestion? What is that? It's the imperative, meaning it's a command. Present active tense, meaning it's to happen continuously. I am the one who's supposed to be doing the action. I am to be angry. Did you know that you as a Christian are commanded to be angry? But then is that the end of the verse? Some of you are like, man, I wish that's all it said. Because what does it say right next to it? Be angry yet, what? Do not sin. This is where we make a distinction between righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Anger that is righteous and God-pleasing and holy and anger that is sinful and selfish and full of pride and causes pain and suffering and sorrow. We're commanded to be orge, to have this abiding, settled attitude of offense at sin. In fact, this is the same word that James uses in James 1.19. Be quick to what? Listen, slow to, speak, and slow to orge. Be slow to anger. So even though we're commanded to be angry, James balances that by doing what? Don't rush to it because what can orge become? Thumos, explosive. If thumos is a volcano, what is orge? It's the tea kettle. You put that thing on and it takes time, but it slowly burns and slowly gets hotter and slowly until what happens? Whoo! That was a really weak tea kettle impression, I know. It's all I got in me. Does it sound like that? No, it goes, ah! You know, it screams, gets your attention. Isn't that a beautiful description of God's wrath? Slowly burning, and some point, it's gonna, But again, even the slowness of God's wrath implies what? The patience of God. Don't ever forget that. So it's possible for us for, as Christians to have a righteous anger that pleases God. I'm going to talk more about this in the next point. So what's an example of this? Is This is the wife of 20 years who's endured an unloving, unthankful husband. She's been under it. And she just has this settled, building, slow anger toward him, all the ways that he has failed her, all the ways that her expectations have not come true. I married you because you said you were going to lead me spiritually, and you're not doing that. I'm the spiritual leader. I'm the one raising the kids. I'm the one. All you do is bring home money, and she goes on and on and on. But it's this anger that clams up. It's not explosive. It doesn't blow up. It clams up. 
This could be a pity party. It could be mumbling under the breath. It could be restlessness. It could be a complaining spirit. It could be loss of appetite. It could be constant seething. And to make it more interesting, sometimes we have a, a mix of thumos and orge. We call it passive-aggressive. Yeah, have fun trying to figure that out. Are you angry or not angry? I can't tell. One minute thumos, the next minute orge. One minute blowing up, the next minute what? Clamming up. One minute hot anger, and the next minute cold anger. Have you ever had someone really cold anger against you? I think in some ways I'd almost rather have the hot anger because at least I know what I'm dealing with. That cold anger is hard to figure out. And it's really confusing when they do both. We have the volcano, we have the tea kettle, and then third, paragismos. This is anger mixed with irritability, exasperation, or embitterment. In fact, in Ephesians 6.4, we're already there. Look what it says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to, what is it? Paragismos, irritated anger. That's why when someone explains this verse, what do they say? Parents, don't exasperate your kids. That's this irritable anger. In fact, it's interesting, back in Ephesians 4, verse 26, be angry or gay, yet do not let the sun go down on your paragismos anger. It's interesting how Paul uses both of those words in Ephesians 4. Think about why he's doing that. If you allow orge to reside and you let the sun go down on it, and the next morning you wake up thinking about that thing that you're angry about, more often than not, what happens to that righteous anger? Even if it starts out righteous, for the right reason, God, you hate this, God, this offends you, I should hate it too. If you let the sun go down it over and over and over again, what happens to that anger in your heart? What does your sin nature begin to do to it? Twist it, and it becomes this irritated anger. That's what can happen. This can become the natural response to circumstances in my life, a pattern I think we have more dads in the Christian church that struggle with this type of anger than anywhere else, honestly. It's almost like it's a respectable anger. We're harsh with our wives, we're unkind, we let words slip out in moments where they just, I'm just so frustrated by my kids right now. I mean, how could you expect me not to say and do what I did? And it's this irritated anger. This is why the command is in Ephesians 6, dads don't do it. Not that moms don't, not that women don't, but I do think, guys, we struggle with this. This could be I'm irritated having to discipline my kids or I'm disturbed, they're disturbing my peace. I come home from work, what do I expect to happen? Have a moment of peace before dinner. I told my kids to clean their rooms before I left. I come home after a long day at work and I walk by their rooms and what do I see? It didn't stay the same, it got worse. They didn't do it. And so because now they're disrupting my peace, my expectation, my plan, my sense of control, when I see them, what do I do? Why didn't you clean your room? And am I justified? Should I discipline my children because they didn't do first-time obedience? You're like, Chris, are you trying to trick us? Should I discipline them, parents? Yes. But if I'm doing it, in this irritated anger is coming out, what might that be an indication of? We call this the sin beneath the sin. The outward expression of sin, the irritated anger, where is it coming from? 
an idol in my heart. I'm not getting what I want. You're not doing it my way. This is not ease. I have to spend time dealing with you when I could be watching the news or watching the Astros lose again. I mean, win again. Right? I don't know why I decided to preach on anger because God has given me at least five different ways that I was struggling with anger this last week. Whenever I pick a topic, it's like God says, okay, let's put you to the test. Before you preach it to them, I want to see how you're going to apply it, Chris. Monday, I go out to the outdoor garage. There's a refrigerator out there. I had saved up the last little bit of the Bluebell chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. Just enough for my final, final one. Tuesday was going to be the day that I got back to my regular better eating routine, which I've been off. It's all COVID's fault. So I go out there, and I have been planning it. I've been thinking about it. I saved just enough two days before to have my last little bite of ice cream. I go out there, and I notice the door is ajar. And I open the freezer, and I look to where I put my ice cream, and guess what? It's slowly dripping down, and I notice it's actually dripping out the bottom of the freezer. Somebody had left the freezer door open. And in a moment, what happened to my plan and my expectation? Gone. Nobody's home. Immediately, I turn into cop mode. The inner lawyer comes out. Well, who was in here last? Who, had a, who, who was in the freezer last? I, I'm like, I, I feel like I need to start calling my family members to find out who did this. And then I'm like, you know what? Fine. I'm just going to leave it like that and let someone else clean it up. Because, you know, that's a godly response. And I'm like, oh, I can't do that. I'm preaching on anger this week. <laughs> okay. So I'm like, I got to clean this up. My ice cream off the floor. It took me an hour. It was everywhere. And other things were half melted. And, and so the whole time I'm doing it, I'm doing it with this expression. I'm like, oh, joy, look what I get to do. I'm like, man, I cannot believe they did this to me. And I was supposed to be studying for my anger message while I was cleaning up the freezer. I have better things to do, more spiritual things to do. And here I am cleaning up someone else's mess because of their incompetence and lack of concern. Irritated anger. It's in us if we're not careful. We have volcano, we have the tea kettle. Now this is the mosquito bite. When you get a mosquito bite, what does it do? Some of you are just like, man, that makes me itchy just thinking about it. Thanks, Chris. The volcano, the tea kettle, the mosquito bite. Anger is not just a thing. It's not just something inside of you. All parts of our nature are involved, the emotional, the physiological. If you get angry on the inside, emotionally, what's going to happen to your face? It's going to... Or, guys, don't you love it when your wife does this? What is that? Buckle up, buddy, because it's coming. Right? It's mental, spiritual, behavioral. We walk away. I'm right in the middle of talking to someone, and they get angry, and what do they do? Walk away. Is that ever a good thing? Uh, I guess we're finished now? Behavioral, slamming doors. It is unbiblical for you and I to say, well, my anger just got the best of me. 
It, it just got the best of me, as if our anger somehow rose up and took over our mind and our body and acted without <laughs> us being in control. Anger has an object, a target, which is either human or non-human. An angry husband can yell at his wife or he can yell at the dresser that he just stubbed his toe on. And anger is often a means of cruelty, manipulation, and intimidation. It can become a weapon used to get what we want or to punish people when we don't get what we want. I'm going to use my anger to get what I want or I'm going to use my anger because you're not giving me what I want. For parents, I would really encourage you, just like this is a great book talking about anger, Lou Priolo has a book called The Heart of Anger. Some of you may be like, hey, what's a good resource to help my kids? Maybe they struggle with anger. Probably got it from their father. Let's just admit that. But you're like, hey, what's a good resource? I'd encourage you to get it. I think we have some copies in our resource center. All right, let's look at the next aspect. I'm running behind here. Anger is natural. As man was created in the image of God, God has the capacity to be angry in a righteous way. So we, too, have the ability to be righteously angry. We can get righteously angry, and we should get righteously angry at the same things that God gets righteously angry about. Injustice, immorality, injustice, those kind of things. Mistreating widows and orphans, taking God's name in vain. And while we should be righteously angry, our sinful natures have the capacity to be sinfully angry. So we have to understand that. And sinful anger ultimately comes from our hearts. Turn with me over to Mark 7.20. Mark 7.20. This is a key verse we often use in counseling, or, or it's uh, in Matthew as well. It's in a number of the Gospels. And Mark 7.20. And he was saying, this is Jesus, that which proceeds out of the man, that which is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things proceed from our DNA, from our genetics, because I was raised a certain way or I was abused as a child or is that what it says? Where do these evil things come from? From within. Now, am I discounting those things? Am I saying that, that physiological or environment never has a role? No, they do affect us. But the Bible says the reason we do sinful things is because what? Where do they come from? Desires in our heart, idols of the heart. When I want something bad enough, what does James 4 say? Why do you fight? Why do you quarrel? Because you, your pleasures, you desire something, you lust, you envy, you cannot get it, so you murder and do whatever it takes to get it. Often why we get angry on the outside is because we have sinful idolatry on the inside, and we have to acknowledge that. This is why you never have to teach your child how to throw a temper tantrum. They came out of the womb sinful with little idols in their heart. What's, that's often one of the first words they learn is what? Mine. This is mine. That's mine. That's certainly mine. Give it back. Mine. You thought it was the seagulls in that cartoon, right? No. Came out of idolatry. Anger can be sinful or sinless. So again, look back at Ephesians 4.26. Ephesians 4.26. Be angry, yet what? Do not sin. God is not going to command us to do something that we can't do. He's saying be angry, 
righteously. If he's going to command you and I to do that, guess what? He's provided a way for us to do it. We can tell the difference by checking two things. What's my motive driving my anger and the specific purpose of my anger? Think about this. What's my motive? Is my anger self-defensive or self-serving? Am I more focused on the fact that I'm being offended or am I more focused on the fact that God is being offended? There's something motivating this response. And then purpose. What's the purpose of my anger? What am I hoping to accomplish through yelling, through sarcasm, recycling old hurts? Kids, when you eye roll your parent, what is your purpose for an eye roll? Why do you do it? What's going on in your heart? Honestly, I'm not happy with what you're telling me to do. You're telling me to do something, and I'd rather do this. So I know I can't say something because then I would get disciplined. So I'm going to do a lesser thing, and I'm going to give you a nonverbal communication of my displeasure. (sighs) You know, you throw in a (sighs) just a, you know, accent. What's your purpose? I'm unhappy with you. And I want you to know it. Anger that is selfish, that's undisciplined, that's vindictive, is sinful. It has no place even temporarily in the Christian life. But guess what? Anger that's unselfish, based on the love for God and concern for others, is not only permissible, but it's commanded. So the motive speaks to our desire, while purpose speaks to what we want to happen to fulfill our desire. Did you get that? That's how you can tell if your anger is righteous or unrighteous. So I just want to make this point. Don't ever forget that even righteous anger can easily turn to bitterness and self-righteousness. In fact, I would go so far as to say is most anger is sinful. Did you hear that? Most of the time when you and I are angry, it is sinful. Because even if it starts out righteous, how quickly does our righteous anger become unrighteous? And this is why someone who started out Picketing abortion clinics, being against writing letters to the governor and to the the federal government over years of letting the sun go down on their anger, they kept that anger. It started out righteous and holy. Five years later, we read about them on the nightly news. What did they do? They planted a bomb in a local abortion clinic. How did you go from being righteously angry over, over something God hates to killing abortionists? Is that pleasing to the Lord? No. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. So what does that mean? It simply means you, you, you never take your own revenge. Romans 12, 19, you leave room for, for the wrath of God. I, I'm happy. Lord, I should stay against this, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to replay it. I'm going to put it in your hands because guess what? Will God bring justice? Yes. And he will right wrongs. And our world is telling us right is wrong and wrong is right, and we should be against that. But at the end of the day, who's the only one who will bring true justice and holiness? It's God. So we do our part, but at the end of the day, I don't let that anger reside in my heart. I hope that's helpful and clear for you. All right, moving along. Number four, anger is learned. Not only is it natural to us, but it's learned. Anger is taught. Anger is modeled to us from those around us, our parents, our siblings, our spouses, those we work with, many others. We learn what to get upset about and how to show our displeasure. Turn with me back to Proverbs 22. This is probably the the key verse to make this point. Proverbs 
22, starting in verse 24. Proverbs are full of wisdom about anger. This is probably the the clearest to make this point. Proverbs 22, verse 24. Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. What's the principle of this wisdom passage? If you hang out, if you spend time with, if you associate if you connect yourself, if you say that's one of my best friends and they are characterized by anger, what does that mean? Not just that they occasionally get angry. When you say someone is characterized by anger, what do you mean? This is a pattern. This is a rut. They do this often. It's in their heart and it comes out in how they speak and behave. What is this proverb warning you about? If you hang out with that person, what will you become? Angry. What does that imply? Can we learn anger? Yes. We can learn righteous anger, and we can also learn what? Unrighteous anger. When Paul did what he did with Peter, and everyone was looking, he did it publicly. What do you think everyone did? (gasps) Did Paul just do that to Peter? But what did it do with the whole church congregation? Paul knew if he had not confronted that sin, it's what he said in another epistle in the New Testament, a little lump of leaven, what? Leavens the whole or or makes the whole dough rise. Be careful. Be careful who you associate with. Anger is often practiced so much it can become a habit or second nature to us. So can I blame my anger on my environment? Can I honestly say the reason I'm angry, it's your fault? Or, you know, if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have gotten angry. You know what Skinner said? Skinner said that it was all because of our environment. We're products of our environment. Well, Skinner's wrong. It's not our environment that makes us angry. It's our sinful heart. Now, there may be environmental factors that make it difficult on us. You could, you know, for that wife that's living with a husband for 20 years, is everything she's saying true? What if you conclude for the most part, she's right, he is a jerk. He hasn't led spiritually, he has been harsh, he has been unkind. That would make us sympathetic, wouldn't it, to her? That would break our heart to hear that. You're right, living with him is hard. So then do we turn around right after acknowledging that and affirming that sympathy and that empathy, do we say, but it's okay for you to be sinfully angry. I mean, after all, he deserves it. If you come to me for biblical counseling and I tell you that, what should you do? Fire me. Turn me into the other elders because that is unbiblical. Just because someone is sinning against you, does that give you the right to respond with sinful, unrighteous anger? No. And we have example after example. What about Luke 6? where Jesus says to do what with your enemy? Love your enemy, do good, meaning you can't just passively love, okay, I love you, I don't wanna talk to you or think about you or look at you, I might wanna spit on you, but I'm, not, I'm gonna love you from over here. Is that what do good means? No, do good means I enter into your world to bless you, to do good to you. Love your enemy, do good. 
lend expecting nothing in return. And what's the example Jesus gives? Why, what should motivate this kind of a response to our enemy? Because does that wife feel like the husband is her enemy? Sometimes. Does she want to love him? Often no. What are we told? Even God is kind to evil and ungrateful men. Why should we love? Because that's how God is with us and with others. So be careful what type of example you're setting. Be careful who your friends are. Anger plus pride equals what? Blindness. Have you ever encountered someone who was angry and proud? The minute you tried to point it out to them, what happened? Did it go well? No, because that's what pride does. What can you tell a proud person? Nothing, because they already know it all. Often we don't see it. So that means we need to be involved, just like Peter lovingly or Paul lovingly rebuked Peter, so, was, so must we. Well, fifth, anger is often misunderstood. All I mean by this is more often than not, our anger is sinful. Most people think their anger is normal, justifiable response to the way they've been treated. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Are you eager to be angry? If so, that, this Ecclesiastes, Solomon is saying, we're a fool. And again, Ephesians 4.31, it doesn't say let most bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. What does it say? Let all, let all. We often quote James 1.19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But do you know what verse 20 says? Why should we be, do those three things? Because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Your sinful anger, my sinful anger, it's not working for God's kingdom. When I went to seminary, I went to a seminary that had a psychological view of counseling. And so I was forced to read a lot of books that I probably normally wouldn't have read. Some of these secular, some of them Christian. I remember reading one book. It was one of, one of the textbooks that I had. And it basically said that it's okay to yell in anger as long as you're venting and being authentic as a means of unburdening yourself as long as you yelled in anger in a controlled and assertive way. Some of you are like writing that down. Oh, that's good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice that. Does that sound biblical based on all the passages we've just read? No. Anger is often misunderstood. Sometimes someone starts out righteously angry, and because of the idols of our heart, halfway through, that righteous anger turns to unrighteous anger. So what's the point here? Just be on your guard, because how quickly your righteous anger can become unrighteous. Be on the alert. The Bible teaches that our tendency is to be sinfully angry. Number six and number seven, these last two points are very practical. That's why I didn't put application questions on there. My hope is that you can take these last two points home and study them, look at them, answer them. 
Point number six, anger is sinful when it's sinfully or selfishly motivated. Again, where is the focus of my anger? Is my anger more focused on me when I'm not getting what I want, what I desire, or is it more focused on God? Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as what? More important than you. If I see you as more important than me, then I'm going to be looking for ways to serve you, to care for you, to help you. So think about this. Does this describe you when you get angry? I want my way. Because I can't have my way, I'm angry. I want my way. Because I can't have my way, I'm angry. Where's the focus? What pronouns are we using? It's about you. Be careful if that's true. Anger is sinful when God's goal in the matter is distorted. Again, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether we eat or drink, we're supposed to do all to what? The glory of God, to please God. We can justify sinful, angry response by convincing ourselves we're doing it for God when we're really doing it for our own selfish motives and goals. This is when a mom might get angry at her child's disobedience. She may even say the words, you're not pleasing God with your anger. But maybe later on, the spirit convicts her and she realizes it wasn't really about God's glory at all. She was irritated because she had something else planned. The child's disobedient interrupted her plans. She likes control, and the loss of control did what? She's not getting what she wants, what she desires. Is it wrong for her to order her day? No. That's a good thing. Order your day. Make plans. But when you hold an expectation and do this, what did you just do? You drove the pent. Uh, the, the tent pegs of desire into your heart, I must have that thing. And just because we quote verses at our kids when we're sinfully yelling at them does not make it right. In some ways, that makes it almost worse, doesn't it? Because what are we teaching them? Do what I say, not what I do. Whew. The reality is right now there's so much anger over politics. I actually cut this out of my message. I was going to mention a couple names just to see what kind of reaction we got this morning. No matter what side of the aisle you're on, I have heard that some Christians are so angry at some of the people on the opposite political party that they do not pray for them. What might that be an indication of? Might. Again, I don't know their heart. God does. If you stop praying for the enemy on the other side of the political aisle, what might that indicate? You're not seeing them through the eyes of Christ. Do they need Jesus? Yes. So just recognize that God's goal in the matter is distorted. Your desire for political rightness becomes greater than God's desire to save those political people. You see how God's goal can get distorted. That could be sinful anger. See, anger is allowed to linger. We don't put it aside every day. This is someone who has a hard time not talking about a past offense. They think about it often. Have you ever had a friend that almost every time something comes up, they mention something about something that happened in the past? This, this might be because anger and bitterness has taken root in their heart. And then D, it attacks a person instead of the problem. It's a communication principle out of Ephesians 4, 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only a word which will edify, build up, Give grace according to the need of the moment to those that would hear it. 
So we don't want to attack the person. We want to attack the problem. This may be the, the wife who is not meeting her husband's expectations. And so instead of him going to her and trying to resolve it with her, he gossips to his friends. He criticizes her. He doesn't say it to her face, but he says it to them. Talks bad about her. He's not attacking the problem. He's attacking the person. So that also could be an indication of sinful anger. Well, we are out of time And I intentionally left that whole last section just for you to take home and go over on your own how to deal with anger biblically to recognize our anger is sinful, to identify the idolatrous desires. Again, just look at James 4. Again, in my ice cream illustration, what was the ruling desire? Why was I getting angry? Counsel me. What was going on in my heart? Is it wrong for me to have a little bit of bluebell ice cream? Don't tell me no. I want you to say yes. Yes, it's okay for me to have a little bit. But when I didn't get what I wanted, if I got angry, what might that be an indication of? It's not that I I idolized bluebell ice cream. I don't want you to think that. It's that I had a plan. I had control of that plan, and someone got in the way of that because I like to be in control. And God is helping me deal with that idol of my heart. So recognize if you get angry on the outside, it's more than likely there is sin, idolatry going on on the inside. When you begin to deal with anger, you can't just focus on the outside. You gotta ask God to help you reveal what's going on on the inside as well. Identify some of the sinful ways you've expressed anger in the past. Just ask your spouse, your kids, buckle up. They're gonna tell you. You confess your sin, D. You accept the forgiveness of God. You pray. I've got all the examples there. G is the one... I have developed a worksheet that we use in counseling called a repentance plan of action. If you would like to receive one of those, just come up and ask me. I can give it to you or email me. I'll email it to you. It's a PDF. I think often we get convicted by something and we go home and we just say, okay, I'll work on it tomorrow. We never make a plan. We never make a plan. We may say, God, please forgive me. I repent. But then we don't make a plan to begin to put off, renew our mind in truth and put on the new self. And so these are tools to help us begin to look at our anger and to begin to work on it. I would really encourage you to take advantage of that. And then all the rest of these are pretty self-explanatory. Well, today we've developed a biblical view of anger, looking at these seven aspects. Emotions are like smoke detectors. A while back, the, pulley detect, uh, the smoke detector in the AC room in the worship center, the worship center is the other building on the other side of the campus went off. A pulley system on the AC broke. The belt was starting to cause friction, heat, eventually smoke. It was running 24-7. We live in Texas after all. If all we did was turn off the sound of the smoke alarm by resetting the system, what would have happened? Well, we know what would have happened because the firemen came. <laughs> that day I was working, the firemen came, the alarm got off, They said it would have burned the whole church down if all we had done was hit the reset button. The emotion of anger is like that smoke detector. They aren't the primary problem. They're warnings of the primary problem. Where there are smoke, there's fire. That God has given us emotions like anger is an outward indicator of what's happening in our hearts And they're often inextricably linked to the problems we faced. 
If you are an angry person this morning, I pray, don't ignore the warning. With God's help, we can learn how to repent of sinful anger. There's hope in that. We can change and we can begin using our anger for good and not for evil. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning, for the opportunity to look at anger, to look at what your word has to say about it. Examples of how sinful anger can creep up. We express it because there's idols in our heart and, and how we can be righteously angry, Lord God. So I pray that you, by the power of your spirit and your word, would convict us if we struggle with sinful anger. And would you help us to be righteously angry at the right things, for the right reasons, with the right purpose, so that we would help one another reach a lost community with the gospel and ultimately give you praise and glory. So in the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.